0: you love your work do you think it's possible well you're about to find out it's time for 48 days to the work you love with dan miller on the 48 days online radio show whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul this is the program for you now here's your host dan miller well hi this is dan miller you know we've just passed independence day I hope that means something for you. Personally, are you independent or are you still a slave to something or somebody else? Well, we've also just passed into the second half of this year already. We are now in the second half of 2012. So if you took time to set out what you wanted to accomplish this year, that means you should be more than 50% finished. And that's the beauty of setting out quantifiable goals. You can identify where you are in the process and check yourself. If you need to speed up a little bit, Or if you need to congratulate yourself on being ahead of schedule, you ought to know exactly where you are. We're half finished with this year. Are you halfway completed with the goals that you set? If you didn't set any goals, are you any place different than you were last year? You just simply repeating what had already happened before doing the same thing, getting the same results. You know, that's what's likely to happen at best doing the same thing and hoping to get the same results. But to really change your results dramatically, you have to decide in advance, what are you willing to change? Make those decisions about things you're going to change so you can, in fact, see new levels of success come into view. Well, this is where we talk about how to do that, how to find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable, I might add. Don't have to sacrifice anything in order to work, or move toward work that is more enjoyable. So we're going to take your questions, your comments about that. Every week I open the mail file from you, the listeners. If you've got a question, you can go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, submit your question. I'd be happy to consider that for an upcoming show. Here's some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Would you pay to be better? I'll come back to that in a second. Would you pay to be better? Here's a question. Dan, I'm 51 years old, been with the same company for 30 years. I've never liked my job. When should I retire? Well, we got a lot of meat in there we can unpack and talk about. Dan, with the real estate market the way it is, would it be advisable to get into sales at this time? Dan, after years in a soul-destroying job as an attorney, how do I become the real me again? I'm considering starting a business in knife sharpening, but my worry is the sheer linear income of this. Great play on words in there. Dan, I'm a professor at a small Christian college in St. Louis. Should I get my doctorate degree? We'll look at the do's and don'ts, the advantages and disadvantages, the opportunity cost of doing just that. Dan, is there any secret to motivating someone who is older well, great questions. As always, these are real life questions. We're going to look at those and more. How do we address these things so we all learn together in ways that take us into levels of higher success? I was reading Darren Hardy's book, The Compound Effect. Now, I want to take our quotation from that book this week. In the compound effect on page 135, Darren Hardy, who's publisher of Success Magazine, incidentally, who, which I consider to be the number one magazine. If there's only one magazine you're able to get, make it Success Magazine. It's full of positive, uplifting stories about people who are doing remarkable things. And it's not just, you know, movie stars and people who are making a billion dollars. No, it's average people who are just making a difference. Making money, doing work they love. But I highly recommend the magazine. Anyway, Darren Hardy is publisher of Success Magazine. He says, I've always found it interesting that the most successful people, the truly top performers, are the ones willing to hire and pay for the best coaches and trainers there are. It pays to invest in your improved performance. Now, this has always been kind of a pet peeve of mine as well. When I talk to somebody who is struggling, who's desperate, they're frustrated, discouraged. All those negative emotions crowd in around them and ask them, well, you know, tell me the title of six books that you've read in the last six months. Well, geez, I haven't read any books. You know, I can't can't afford to buy a book. Uh, what, what, what seminars and workshops have you gone to? Well, gee, I can't afford to go to any seminars and workshops. Uh, who, have, how many times have you had lunch with a millionaire in the last six months? Well, geez, who's like that? Would you want to go to lunch with? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, they're, they're trapped because they're doing nothing to break out of the recurring cycle. Now I, I don't want to make it seem easy, but I have been where I had to choose between paying a light bill or buying a book or a magazine, or going to lunch, or going to workshop or seminar. And frankly, there are times we had the lights turned off because I thought it was that important to keep getting personal improvement. When I hear people say, well, gee, you know, I, I wouldn't love to read, you know, one of your books, No More Mondays, but, you know, I don't want to spend $10. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you pay 70 bucks a month for cable TV, but you aren't willing to spend 10 bucks a month or 10 bucks period On a book that may change your life? I mean, come on. But I mean, Darren really lays this out. I'll read this quotation again. I've always found it interesting that the most successful people, the truly top performers, are the ones willing to hire and pay for the best coaches and trainers there are. It pays to invest in your improved performance. So the question is, would you pay to be better? I mean, getting better is not something that just kind of either happens or it doesn't, or you're lucky and it happens you have to have a strategy, a plan for getting better. And that usually requires paying along the way for that personal improvement. Now, the, the irony here is that, you know, I talk to students who think nothing of paying $30,000, $40,000 a year to sit their butts in a classroom, you know, in a college where they're learning about geography or political science. And then they cringe about paying, you know, $100 to go to a workshop that may put $50,000 in their pocket next year. I mean, be realistic about the things that are an investment. I'm not encouraging you to make expenditures on things that just appreciate in value. I mean, if you want to go out for dinner, hey, that's cool. If you can't afford to, don't do that. You know, if you can't afford to get a big screen TV, heck with it. Do without TV. But when it comes to things that can transform your life, then I think there has to be a priority on it, even if it comes to before driving a nice car or taking a nice vacation. Speaking of which, speaking of a nice vacation, hey, I'll tell you about a nice vacation coming up. That is the Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise coming up in February. Check it out. Go to the 48days.com site. You'll see it there. We've just started to promote it. I just registered Joanne and me to make sure we get booked on it. And uh, it's going to be an exciting thing. We've got a lot of people who have already registered for that and people asking us about it. But it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be one week at sea. Now, I don't know of any better way to rub shoulders with high achievers than to be on uh, trapped at sea with, they can't get off. You're on the same boat. I mean, my gosh, what an opportune time to spend time picking the brains of high achievers. And you can do that on cruises. Joanna and I have done that for years and years and years. We love the personal experience of a cruise, but we've done it a lot because it is an opportunity to spend time with high achievers wisdom meets passion cruise that's after the title of my upcoming book that isn't even out yet but we're going to have that as a theme how to unlock your own wisdom and passion we're going to have some really cool things it's going to be during the week of valentine's day so joanne's got some cool things that she's going to do that kind of take off from the theme of valentine's day as well but how to find your passion and your wisdom And we're going to have some people help you tap into yours. We're going to expect you to be involved in the process. This is not going to be just you sit and listen all week. We're going to have you involved in the process. We want you to come away from that week with a brand new understanding of your own wisdom and passion. So check that out. Join us for the Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise. February 2013. Randall from Iowa says, Dan, I'm 51. I've been with the same company for 30 years. I've never liked my job. My pension from work will never amount to enough to really retire. Question, when should I retire? Should I put in 11 more years to reach maximum benefit or get out soon with less retirement money, but more time to build another income? Randall, if I were you, I would in 30 days from now have a transition plan clearly mapped out. If you've been with the same company for 30 years, you've never liked your job and your pension is never going to be enough to retire on, then the question is, how soon can you get out? The question is not, should you put in 11 more years to reach maximum benefit? Why would you do that? This, this is, you're headed toward an oncoming train. If even after 11 more years, your pension is not going to be enough to retire on, why would you spend one more day there? I mean, I would be mapping out a new plan of action. What could you do in the next 11 years to increase your income dramatically? Do something you love. I mean, just moving towards something you love in and of itself, we would expect your income to increase. I mean, a lot of people think that, well, I'm just being responsible. I'm doing the practical thing here because I have a guaranteed income. If it's work that you don't enjoy, how do you think that you can really be your best? How do you think that you're really gonna get merit increases, performance reviews that come back in a positive way. If you're not even, if you hate what you're doing, I mean, everything works against you. I would certainly look for something where you can increase your income, increase your own deposits into your retirement if that's what you're looking for. But the funny thing is when people come out of a work situation like you describe and move into something that they enjoy, all of a sudden retirement pales in its attraction all of a sudden retirement is not that magical time when you can finally start doing something you love. No, figure out now how to do something you love. And all of a sudden retirement loses its meaning. So do that. Absolutely. I would in 30 days from now, the clock is ticking. I would make that market off in the calendar. So, in 30 days, you have a plan. Now, I'm not saying you need to quit your job if you've been at the same company for 30 years, that you need to quit your job in 30 days. But by golly, I would have a clear plan of action so that it, within the next 90 days, yes, you're gone and you're either in another job that's more fulfilling and higher pay, or you're doing something creative on your own to increase your income dramatically. Dan, I listen to your podcast while at work instead of listening to music. My question is with the real estate market the way it is, would it be advisable to get into sales at this time? I'm licensed, but not ready to give up the security of my paycheck and my full time job, but want and have always wanted to do real estate sales. I've seen local agencies advertising for part time agents. Thanks, Sue in Massachusetts. Well, with the real estate market the way it is, I mean, let's just kind of pause there. What what does that mean? With the real estate market the way it is, okay, we know real estate has been hit hard in the, the downturn. Now, let me just carry that thought out a little bit more before we go on. We know that as soon as there's any kind of a blimp in the economy, any kind of a downturn in the sales cycle in real estate, about 70% of real estate agents let their license go into escrow. Most real estate agents are independent already. They're not, they aren't getting guaranteed paychecks. So they run like rats from a sinking ship as soon as there's any sign of any kind of trouble at all. So let's just say 70% of them let their license go into escrow. So they're no longer active in the markets. Now we have 30% of the real estate agents who are still active. Let's say that the real estate market dropped off 50% which it certainly has not. I mean, there's no way it came close to that. And at this point, it's rebounding some areas dramatically. But Let's just say that it went down 50%. I mean, can you do the math on that? If you have 70% of the people drop out of the race, you only have 30% of the people in the game. And if you lose 50% of the business, you still have more opportunity than you've ever gonna have in any other time in the real estate cycle. Yes, it's a great time to get in the game. All you have to do is be remarkable. Be somebody that people want to do business with and you can thrive. I know real estate agents who are rocking and rolling right now because they didn't just drop out of the game. I I read recently a real estate agent who is going around to expired listings because there's a lot of those that, in fact, that's happening. I mean, they've been on the market for a while, so they have a listing that's expired. He shows up at their house with a sold sign. He knocks on the door and says, you're going to need this if you list this house with me. Well, that's a pretty cool introduction. You're going to need this sold sign if you list your house with me. So he gets lots of listings. He's doing extremely well in this bad economy. Sure, absolutely. This is a great time to get into real estate. If you're like every other real estate agent, if you're just average, no, don't go into real estate at all. Now, here's the thing that concerns me about your question, Sue. I'm licensed, but not ready to give up my security of the paycheck at my full-time job. If you have a paycheck mentality, if you have an employee mentality, you're not going to do well in real estate anyway. You have to recognize that even if you are working for somebody, your paycheck, there's no security. Your only security is knowing what you do really well. If you know what you do really well, you can go anywhere and create income. It doesn't have to be guaranteed by a company. So in this case, if you really have the confidence that you can sell real estate, then now's a great time to do that. If you are all heebie-jeebie about not having the security of a guaranteed paycheck, you're never going to do well in real estate. You're always going to second guess yourself and bail before the 90 days that you're going to need to spend to fill your funnel. Well, enough said. Let me move on. Barry from Hutchinson, Kansas says, after listening to your podcast, now listen to this. This is a pretty, pretty interesting setup. And, and this is so common. I mean, I could, I could hear this 20 times a week. Barry says, after listening to your podcast, I got motivated to look for a better job. I sent a resume to a company I admired. Sure. They would not be interested I've now been with them 3 weeks and I'm sorry I did not do this years sooner. Thank you for the motivation to leave my safe but dead end job. You know a couple of weeks ago I talked at length about the law of attraction. We talked about what does that mean? The law of attraction. Now we we did a lot of generalization but essentially it means that you are drawn to what you focus on. So if you are convinced nobody's hiring, Everybody's laying off. There are no opportunities. We're in a recession. We get the wrong people in the White House. Guess what? All those things will be fulfilled in your reality. Those will be, in fact, true for you. If, on the other hand, you believe now is a great time to move out onto your own, to do something creative, you believe that you have such remarkable skills that four or five companies out there, if you contacted them, would be delighted to have you join their team Guess what is likely to be true? Those exact things. But here Barry says, I sent a resume to a company I admired. Sure, they would not be interested. Wow. Boy, thank goodness something happened here that they in fact responded because with your expectation, it's a wonder that they did. But how many of you are sitting out there listening to this thinking the same thing? Well, gee, I'd love to leave this miserable job that I have, but nobody's hiring. You know, nobody would give me a job offer. Well, you might be surprised. If you do a professional job search, you identify those 30 to 40 companies out there that would be a potential match you're going to find even in a recession, a downturn, I don't care what we call it economically, has very little to do with your personal success day to day. If you get out here and get in the game and let people know what it is you do that has value, you're going to have people saying, we want you on our team. We've been waiting for somebody with your enthusiasm, your confidence to be on our team. We want you involved. Don't deprive yourself of those opportunities. Hey, Justin says, Dan, I was wondering, What if you're a coach who does not like to write or does not have the confidence in your writing? I'm working on my health coaching business and I want to have a website with a blog, but I'm not looking forward to blogging. I'm not sure if this is because I really do not like or have the patience for writing or if I'm not confident enough in my writing. Any thoughts on this and how to tackle this issue? Well, Justin, uh, yeah, I I think it's a reasonable concern because I think there are a few things that can fuel your coaching success like writing, writing, whether it's short manifestos, eBooks, regular books, blogging, any of those things, but there's a whole lot of other things you can do as well. I mean, when people come through our coaching with excellence program here, we give them 48 ways to fill your schedule, 48 marketing things to do. Now, my encouragement is you don't need to do all 48. All you need to do is find four or five that you can do consistently and with excellence and you can be extremely successful. You can put yourself in the 5% of coaches that never go. Well, you know, I I hate to even mention this. I mean, we know that 95% of coaches never make more than $40,000 a year. Now that also includes authors and a whole lot of other professionals, but coaches 95% never make more than $40,000 a year. That is preposterous. If you're going to be a coach, then do it in a way that puts you in a professional class. so You can hold your head high, coach people who are high achievers, rather than having to hang around at the bottom of the barrel because you yourself can't afford to put gas in your tank. So learn how to do it well. Now, that being said, you don't have to be a writer. No. I mean, writing works really well for me. It's been a wonderful tool and my primary marketing tool for my coaching success and success and the other things we do at 48 days. But if you don't do that, then do something else. You can do a podcast like I'm doing here. You can speak. I mean, you can, you can create products. You can be a distributor for other people's products, other people's writing. You can make a lot of money on books without ever writing anything on your own. You can be big enough that you have a staff that does these things for you. I mean my buddy dave ramsey most of you know that name dave does not enjoy writing like i do i mean it's gut-wrenching for him to turn out a book every six or seven years but look at the content that he is being created by his team all the time so he does what he does extremely well that being speaking motivating being on the radio managing a team building a team and then he has people around him who do all those other things. So there's a whole lot of ways to skin a cat, so to speak. Just find the things that you do really well and then complement those skills with people whose skills supersede your own in those other areas. Yeah, no, you don't have to write. Again, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a challenge. I think it's sad, but uh, certainly you don't have to do that. I would never tell somebody they have to write. We do let's catch uh, Jonathan says, uh, Dan, I practiced in law for over 10 years, but I burned out after just three as my family's sole breadwinner. It was hard to leave such a lucrative position and the hours and sheer strain of maintaining high performance standards in a job I like passion for stole the time and mental energy I needed to plan a new career. Thankfully I was laid off in 2011 determined not to return to law. I became a real estate investor. I'm much happier, but I struggle daily with the negative mental habits acquired in a career I hated. Self-doubt, procrastination, seeking instant gratification, and viewing work as a form of punishment. Wow, ouch. The real me is a self-starter who obtained three Ivy League degrees, persevered to become fluent in Japanese, and threw myself into every project 100%. After years in a soul-destroying job, how do I become the real me again? Here's what you can do, Jonathan. Great question. Great setup. Three years that you, after three years, you burned out, stayed with it 10 years. Boy, that is a soul destroying proposition right there. Here's what you can do. Make a long list of those positive characteristics that you described. Look at them every morning. Uh, Here's what you can do with those. Put four or five on different ones, four or five on three different index cards, and then put one on your refrigerator one on your bathroom mirror and one on the sun visor in your car. Now we know if you want to have positive affirmations, however you want to frame it. But if you put those positive characteristics, you know you have, and you put them in those three places, you're going to get a lot of repeated exposure during the day to remind you of the traits that make you great. The things that make you remarkable. All right. Again, those three places are one on your refrigerator, one on your bathroom mirror, and one on the sun visor in your car do that and you can find that real you again and overshadow the negative characteristics that's crept in in those years of doing work that was soul destroying well this is dan Miller. you're listening to 48 days online radio where each week we take your questions real life questions things we can unpack together to learn how to be more successful in various areas of our life, work being one of those, but certainly not the only one. If you've got a question, just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, you'll see a little pop-up there. You can submit your question. I'd be happy to consider that for an upcoming show. Well, here's a comment. I'm, I won't read the name here. I just This is a comment, and I appreciate this deeply. I'm going to read it without a lot of comment. It's something that I um, address day after day after day, and I appreciate this comment so much. Dan, I would like to say thank you. In one of your first podcasts, you mentioned your faith. My first thought was, oh, great, and I nearly shut off the podcast. But then you spoke about your sensitivity to non-believing people, which I really appreciated. I've since learned that you don't hide your faith, but you don't push it on others. And I deeply respect this fact about you. I also respect the courage you have shown in calling out other Christians for excusing their personal failings as part of God's plan. Too often Christians who openly profess their faith are the worst ambassadors for Christ. It's a big reason why I left the church, but you are a shining counterexample. I'm glad I continued listening and I'm now a huge fan and regular listener. Please continue the excellent work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I consider that a high compliment and without dissecting that any further, I'll let it stand as it is. Brian from Wisconsin says, Dan, love your show and your life philosophy. I'm burned out in my IT career of nearly 20 years and I'm searching for another happier way to earn a living. For years, I've been sharpening kitchen and other knives for myself and friends. I'm considering starting a business in knife sharpening. And at 5 to $8 per blade, it could be a decent income. My worry is the sheer linear income of this seemingly without any conceivable residual income to be had. Any suggestions, tips would be great. Man, I got lots of tips for you. I mean, I love the business you're describing. I, I, I know that there is big potential in sharpening knives. But now here's how I would do this. I would go to where You get the greatest margin, the greatest return. Now, let's look at the common kind of place for sharpening knives. You could go out here to a subdivision and you could knock on doors and you're going to find people who have scissors and knives that need to be sharpened. And if you talk to 10 people, you'll probably get two that agree to have you do something if you only charge them $5 to $8 per blade. Now, let's step that up a little bit. Let's say that, okay, now you're going to go to beauty salons. I mean, there, they're making money with their scissors and blades. So it's a lot different. They're essential tools of to the trade. So you may be able to charge, you know, ten to fifteen dollars for those. So you're going to a market that understands more the value of having the sharp blades. And that's exactly what you want to do. I mean, it's like it's like positioning yourself as a coach or whatever. You position yourself, and that has a lot to do with how you structure your pricing. But now let's go even one level higher in your knife sharpening business. Now again, this sounds like something you, you know, set up at a flea shop or a flea market and and just people walking by you sharpen their knives. Nah, you're never gonna do anything there. But what if you address the medical environment? Surgical instruments cost hundreds and thousands of dollars. If you sharpen those, which again is critical for very highly paid procedures, that's where you're going to get the most return. Position yourself as that kind of professional level. That's where you'll do well. Now, I, I mean, I've, I've helped a lot of businesses structure themselves in this way. Here, here's an example. I have a friend in town who does dry cleaning pickup. Now he doesn't do the dry cleaning, he does the pickup, but he's, done extremely well at just picking up dry cleaning, making it easy for professionals. He then takes it to the dry cleaners. They pay him 40% of the regular charge because they're bringing them, he's bringing them business they would not otherwise have. So it's a win-win for everybody. But what I told him is, man, you can go out here and knock on doors all day long again in residences. Yeah, you're going to get a few people, but you're going to run the wheels off your van running door to door, trying to get enough business to do that. Why don't you concentrate on office environments where you hit one building and have 40 businesses where on foot you're gathering their shirts. I mean, that ups your profitability dramatically, but then even more so he started working in the medical community. Now think about it. So he does a lab coat, you know, dry clean a lab coat is $7. Whereas a shirt is $1.45. A lab coat is nothing but a big shirt. There's really no difference there. So why don't you go after the market where there's the most margin? And that's exactly what he did. And you can do the same in your sharpening business. Go to the medical environment, barbershops, beauty salons, high-end places like that where they make their living with their knives and scissors, that's where you're going to be able to make it work okay. Now, have you said that you're, cons- you're concerned about it just being linear income? And I, you're, you're right on track. You're thinking like I would think I would be concerned about that as well. What I would do though, I would very quickly turn this into a $100,000 business and then offer a business opportunity that shows other people how to do the same thing. You can make more money selling your business opportunity than you can doing the business itself. You may create an instructional manual to go with that, a little video. But the how-to, a lot of times in this kind of business, ends up being more profitable than the actually doing of the work. And you've got a great setup there to do exactly that. Worked with a lady one time who started doing gift baskets. She was a nurse, hated being a nurse. but She wanted to be an interior designer, but her parents said, nah, you can't make money being an interior designer. It'll be unpredictable. Be a nurse, she'll never be unemployed. Well, she was never unemployed, and she was never in a position that she didn't hate her job. Well, anyway, in that transition, she started doing gift baskets, but she very quickly discovered that she could do large commercial accounts. She did a country music awards where she did like 130 baskets, exactly the same. And then right after that, she did a manager's convention, Taco Bell managers, where she did 4,300 baskets exactly alike. Well, that's extremely profitable. That's extremely hard, linear income. It's very time and labor intensive. It's a linear income. You do it once, you get paid once. And I told her, I said, my goodness, you set yourself up as a consultant to teach other people how to have that profitable gift basket business. That's what she did. She very quickly got out of making baskets herself at all and simply spoke at conferences and conventions, sold her instructional material and videos on how to get those large commercial accounts. That's where the money was, teaching other people how to rather than doing the actual work. Well, goodness, let me jump ahead here janice says i've been spent i've spent time developing equal passions in my life gardening cooking photography decorating in my day placing top nationally for race walkers top one third of women marathon runners for first marathon ever run i've not been successful making any money even though i worked very hard toward my goals completed an mfa last year with the expectation of adjunct teaching exhibiting work more prominently. I'm a Renaissance woman, but can't seem to be creative enough to figure out my purpose and support myself. I have struggled with feeling that I do not fit in anywhere in life at 53. I just don't know what to do with my life. And I'm tired of wasting my life, not working toward a goal. I want to make a difference somewhere, somehow in the world. My engine is running and going nowhere. Wow. What a graphic visual picture you create Janice of where you are. Now you're doing a lot of cool things and you're doing a lot of creative things. And yes, it's always challenging for people in the creative areas to figure out how to make money because usually we think about those things that we just do for enjoyment. People don't pay for those things, but you got to zero in on something. Don't just be a generalist. Don't do a little gardening, little cooking, little photography, little decorating, you know, a little marathon running, focus in on something where you become an expert. So even though you may feel like you're artificially eliminating some things that you know you could be good at and you would enjoy, you're still going to elevate your success by being focused on something. I mean, think about it even in terms of doctors. I mean, somebody who's a generalist, eh, kind of a generalist. You know, we don't really count on them for a whole lot, maybe initial screening, but if you need an ENT procedure or you want a heart catheter, you go to a cardiologist, you go to a specialist, it's a specialist who makes 10 times what those who in general practice make and it's not just about making money but if you want that as an example yeah if you do something really spectacular in cooking I mean be the next Paula Dean I mean she just cooks great food but look at what how she's leveraged that one skill Now we don't know much about her gardening skills photography decorating and so on now Martha Stewart would be an exception she does a little bit of everything but that's a very unique situation but for the most part I would encourage you to zero in on something and then find a way to be unique in doing that. So you get out of being just a generalist you can be an artist and a lot of artists are starving, don't make any money, but you can also be somebody who does work that is only shown in dental waiting offices. I mean, I have a friend here who just did a massive piece of art for the London Olympics. It's going to be on buses, billboards and all that. She got a commission to do that kind of work. I mean, position yourself to be an expert in something rather than a generalist in a whole lot of creative things. Kent from Missouri says, Dan, I'm a professor at a small Christian college in St. Louis. My main area of teaching is worship and music. I'm not sure whether I should get my doctorate degree. Most of my counterparts in our sister colleges have their doctoral degrees. Our school doesn't require it, but doctorates are becoming increasingly more important because of accreditation guidelines. My concerns are, number one, a doctorate will cost $15,000, which I'll have to pay for myself. Number two, it will only marginally help me be more effective in my current teaching and leadership roles. And three, most importantly, it will require three years of focused time. I could spend those three years on building a side business instead of writing, or uh, building a side business of writing, speaking, consulting, and co- and coaching, which will increase my income and broaden my influence. What should I do? Well, here, here's here you need to approach this, Kent. Begin with the end in mind. I mean, we know that principle. One of the seven habits of highly effective people don't just get pushed along by the common expectations. Yeah, it may be kind of a common theme that you need to get a doctorate if you're going to continue teaching into college, but you describe that the doctorate will not help you much. It may help the college in some small way with their accreditation st- standing, but to spend the fifteen thousand out of your own pocket and the lost earning possibilities during those three years could add up to a very large opportunity cost. Now, I know you understand what I mean by that. That means that not only are you spending the $15,000, but you're also spending the three years of time. So if in the three years of time, let's just say that in the three years of time, you could have made another $50,000 each year on the side if you had not been spending that time working on your doctorate. So now you have $150,000 in lost income in addition to the 15000 so now you're $165,000 behind in terms of opportunity cost. What is, is the doctorate ever going to make that up for you again? What could you do in that same period of time if you did focus on your own writing, speaking, and coaching? Now, if you've listened to... Um, you know what? I'm not sure where I have this really laid out. I'm sure I've talked about it a lot, and it's it's in one of the chapters. It's in chapter three of Wisdom Meets Passion, the new book I've got coming out in a couple of weeks now. But I talk about what I did in a very similar situation. I got my bachelor's degree and then my master's degree in clinical psychology, and then I started my work on my, years later, I started work on my doctoral degree, and I completed all my doctoral coursework, so I did all the coursework, enjoyed it thoroughly. Then I met with my dissertation committee, four old guys, and laid out my options. And I said, as I understand it, I could spend a year and a half doing the research to produce a dissertation that nobody in the world will ever read except you guys, and if you approve it, then you'll give me a piece of paper that I can hang in the wall. And I can have people call me Dr. Dan, I guess, if I was interested in that. Well, yeah, but what I said, or option two, I could spend that same amount of time writing a book that would be readable by anybody on the street who really want to improve their lives and their career. And hopefully in the process, instead of spending another $15,000, maybe I could make a million dollars in doing that. Well, those four old guys were mortified that I framed it. In that way, but that's exactly what I did. I chose not to do my doctoral dissertation after I completed all the coursework. Now, am I an idiot? Well, I don't think so. (laughs) I've never regretted that decision to this day, but I got what I wanted. That was the learning process. I got the education I wanted. I was doing it for the personal learning, the personal growth that took place, not so I could get a piece of paper so somebody would give me a job. I mean, that had no bearing on what I was doing at all. It wasn't done for that. So I got what I wanted, and then I spent that year and a half writing what then turned into what was 48 Days to the Work You Love, and it has accomplished exactly what I wanted it to accomplish and more. I think you can do the same thing in terms of Listing your options, your only option is not either get your doctorate or not. Your option is, could you invest $15,000 in three years into something that would have an amazing potential return for you rather than just being able to put a PhD after your name? If it doesn't have any more value than what you describe it having here, I would certainly not encourage you to do that at all. No, don't do that. Do something else, but begin with the end in mind identify where do you want to be three years from now? Do you want to be hanging out at a little university where you are now and just be able to put a PhD behind your name and have people call you doctor? I mean, that's okay, but I identify what it is that you want, or would you like to have something that was making you another hundred thousand dollars a year, three years from now and giving you an upward potential where you didn't have to worry about tenure retirement and all those other things that were locked into at a university system You know, if those are true, then create a plan to move you in that direction. Well, again, you're listening to Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio, where each week we take a look at your questions that come in. I love to look at the email questions that you all send in, real life questions, better questions than I could dream up, believe me. So keep them coming. I enjoy reading them every week just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, and you'll see an opportunity there to submit your question. Sharon from New Mexico says, Dan, I think I'm in that either or quandary. I'm a high C and I love to decorate and organize. I seem to have the perception that if I'm in a creative industry, I cannot have the traditional office setting hours that would allow me to be home evenings and on weekends with my family. I'm not looking to begin my own business and wondered if you would mind brainstorming to help me determine those 30 to 40 companies that could use my passion of beauty and order without sacrificing my personal life. Sometimes I wonder if I should just clean houses, but I have too much more to offer than to do that. Thanks. Golly, Sharon, a great, great setup here. You love to decorate and organize, but this sentence really intrigues me. Your next sentence there, I have the perception that if I'm in a creative industry, I cannot have the traditional office setting that would allow me to be home evenings and on weekends with my family. Okay, wow, I'm trying to get my brain wrapped around that. So if you're working for a decorating company, an architectural firm or an interior design firm, you're working with them, it's a creative opportunity and somehow now you're going to have to give up evenings and weekends so you can't be with your family to do that. And then you counterpose against that as well. You're not looking to start your own business. You want something that doesn't go that wacko. Here's the deal, Sharon. Being home evenings and weekends is not a function of whether you work for a company or work for yourself. It's a matter of setting boundaries, regardless of what your work entity is. I mean, I know lots of people who work for major companies who are working evenings and weekends. Golly, they're jumping on a plane every Sunday night, flying out to a new destination, barely see their family at all. They're working for a company, and I know lots of business owners who are at home with their families having dinner. I you mean know, I was talking to a friend the other day he goes home for lunch every day. he's CEO of a major company, his own company. He goes home for lunch every day. He purposely you know lives ten minutes down the street from where his business is. Kind people like that who enjoy the weekends, take extended vacations, and are not being controlled by their work that does not. Come as a result of working for a major company or working for yourself. Frankly, I think it's a whole lot easier to control your time, being at home with your family on evenings and weekends, extended vacations, all those cool things we get to do as business owners than it would ever be possible. I mean, when we have big major family get-togethers, the only glitches are trying to work around the schedules of those people who work in traditional jobs. Those of us who work for ourselves have no problem at all. Hey, you want to get together for two weeks? down in New Mexico? Sure, let's do it. Why not? I mean, with my work, now with my work, I mean, I love my work and I stay pretty connected. but with the things that I do, Joanna and I can decide tomorrow that we want to go down to Tacomas Beach, Florida, where we often do. We want to go down there and spend a couple of weeks. It has nothing it, there's no glitch in my work at all, because I can work from there two hours a day stay current on everything. Now that means I'm probably not developing new projects to a great deal, but we have that kind of flexibility to come and go as we please. And we do that a lot. I could never do that if I worked for a company and if I were in a, it's not a matter of if I'm in a creative position or if I'm in a non creative position, it's just that I don't know how to get that kind of freedom unless I am in the driver's seat. So don't think that you have to give that up, but you can then look, you know, apply at furniture stores, design stores, department stores. I mean, there are a lot of people that could use the skills that you describe and just negotiate the kind of work environment that you want to have on the front end. I mean, if you do an active job search, you ought to have four or five offers, and in those, then be able to structure one that really is appealing. That's the way you get to the results that you're talking about. Well, let me grab a couple more here. J-J-O-A, Joa, Joa, J O A O, Joa. Okay. From San pa- okay, from Sao Paulo, Brazil, that's why that's, uh, says, uh, an interesting question, my mother, parents, are family, mother, mother, parents, family are a great source of advice and wisdom to me. I ask for career advice when needed and always feel I get a great response. However, my mother hates her job, and my advice always seems to fall on deaf ears. I mentioned that there are other jobs available or that starting a business is an option. I do not feel there is any need to be constricted by a job you hate any longer than is necessary. It is a disservice to yourself and to the job itself. Do you have suggestions on how to reach out to those around us with more years of experience? Furthermore, is there any secret to motivating someone who is older? Wow, that's an interesting question. You know, in this new book I got coming out, Wisdom Meets Passion, it's easy to assume that passion is something that the younger generation has, sometimes without wisdom. Well, passion without wisdom can be dangerous. But wisdom without passion is certainly not something we want either. I mean, that's not attractive. The point is, it's not something you move from one to the other as you get older. You have to have both no matter where you are on the age continuum. If you're 20 years old and you want to have your own business or you want to be an effective employee, you better have both passion and wisdom. If you're 65 years old and you want to move into fulfilling retirement years, you better have both passion and wisdom. Wisdom alone is not enough to have fulfilling life. You got to have both. Now, the question then here is what if you have more wisdom and passion than somebody who's twice your age? are they going to be able to pick that up? Or are you going to be able to have the credibility to share that with them? Well, that's a tricky kind of thing. I have a friend, a great friend here, Ken Abraham. He's a ghostwriter. He's written all kinds of books for famous people. Uh, George Foreman, Chuck Norris, Bob Dole. That list goes on and on. He's written like 80 books. But anyway, he just wrote a book of his own. When the child becomes the parent, and he talks about the cognitive deterioration in his own mother leading up to her death. But when the child becomes the parent, I mean, it's hard to give your parents advice. They're used to changing your diaper. It's hard for them to take you seriously. There are just some times when it's pretty tough to do that. Maybe you aren't the best person to be giving that advice at the particular time. And even the Bible, you know, Jesus said a prophet hath no honor in his own hometown you know, if you grew up somewhere and they knew you as a little red-headed, freckled faced kid, it's hard for them to take you seriously, you know, and being the mayor of the town as an example. Here's another kind of example. I am not a member of our local chamber of commerce, although I'm very supportive of it. I think it's a great organization, but every January they ask me to come in and be the kickoff lead speaker for the first January meeting, but make a big deal out of, you know, Dan Miller coming in to do that. If I were a member of that chamber, I'd just be one more guy sitting down the row at the table every week or every month, whatever it is that is they meet. The fact that I'm not a member makes it unique for them to invite me in as a speaker. I mean, that's a very strategic thing that I've done there. and just so I, I don't know that you can easily do that. You may not be the person to offer help to your parents. You may be, have to look for other sources of wisdom to speak into the life of your mother, even though it seems like what she's saying makes sense for you. Yeah, it may be hard for you to be the teacher. You know, it's interesting as you get older, you have that opportunity to experiment with that, whether you, uh, when you, when you become the sandwich kind of person, when you're parenting your own children, and yet you may reach the point when you have to start parenting your parents as well. Yeah, interesting times. I, I'd like to share a little detail. I've just visited my neighbor this morning. He is on his deathbed. We know that. Um, the doctors gave him three to six weeks to live about six weeks ago, and he's in his last day or two. We know that I visited him with this him this morning. His kids are there. So his kids obviously have become caretakers along with his wife, but he's, his kids are there just helping in this final transition for him and it's not a mournful dreadful kind of thing we've known it's been coming they've had plenty of time to talk through things and it's a very honorable respectable way to to check out of this life and enter into the next one well interesting questions as you can tell these become life questions more than just career job or work questions and rightfully so we can't separate our lives it all works together you want to have Fulfilling work, but fulfilling work means nothing if you don't have fulfilling other parts of your life as well. But thanks for being part of this group, the growing group. Check out the activities at 48days.net and that group. As we have more and more people who are discovering how to either find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable.